Emotional problems. What do you think when you think about that? I want to talk about emotional problems today. The title of the podcast is Emotional Problems Point to a Poor Thought Life. I want to connect how our thoughts cause our emotions and how our emotions are a byproduct of our thoughts. We all have emotions. We are affected by different things for the good and for the bad. Some people struggle how they say emotionally. Sometimes they will say they have emotional problems. I want to get up underneath that in this podcast, and I hope that it will be practical and helpful for you as you think about this idea of emotions, not just dealing with your own emotions, but also as you come along other uh, come alongside other people to disciple them. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. If you want to chat with me, we have a place where you can do that. All roads on the, of the internet lead to our website, or they can lead to our website. If you want to go there, go to rickthomas.net, get your username and password. Make sure you are logged in. You have to be logged in to access our forums. Uh, that's to keep spammers out, and we want to create at least one hurdle that people have to cross so that we can keep our site safe and secure for you. And so log in with your username and password. We do not have your password. If you were to write in and say, hey, I forgot my password, can you retrieve it for me? We would have no way of doing that. We don't have access. Only you and God know your password and any other person that you might share it with. And so it is uniquely your own. So you can come to our website, be safe, be secure, and you can ask any question under the sun. I've had a few people, I've heard this quite a few times actually, over the past several weeks where people write in on our forums and they say, I've been listening to this podcast or that podcast or I'll see it on some social media platform where someone will say they're listening to the podcast, and it's just a reminder to me that there are new people accessing our resources each day, people who have not heard of us before, and I'm, I'm very grateful that you are here and that you are listening to the podcast. Our podcast ministry has grown tremendously since we started it several years ago. We have right at, we're getting close to 1,000 podcasts, and so we have been doing it for a while, and we have a lot of podcasts out there, and every one of them are accessible to you. You can listen to any of them and all of them, but if you are listening to our podcast and you are new, I have three things for you. One, thank you. I'm glad that you're listening. Be safe on your way to work or your way home from work or whatever you may be doing right now. The second thing is I would love for you to go where you get our podcast, like iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher or wherever it may be, and write a review. Would you do that? Make a mental note to write a review for our podcast wherever you get our podcast because that helps us to reach more people. And then the third thing, I want you to go and share with another person. You can put it out on your social media platform. You can uh, send a link uh, to a friend uh, like this article here. Say, hey, here's an article. You can read the article, listen to the podcast. You may have to show them how to listen to a podcast. I have done that many times. In our travels, 
I'll be in a local church and I'll explain to someone that you can listen to us on the run and and they will say, well, how do you do that? And I'll take their phones from them and and show them how to access our podcast. And and so you can do that with a friend. Just let them know, say, hey, here's a helpful podcast, and I want you to start listening to it. Would you do that? And would you write a review? And thank you so much for joining me, Rick Thomas. And with all the Your Daily Drive podcasts, they're written out in long-form content, long-form for me, is 2,000 words, though long form, and in some places is a lot longer than that. Uh, but we have 2,000-word articles, which most of our Your, Your Daily Drive podcast are. And so you can read the podcast through the article, or you can just listen. You can share both of these things as well. In this article, I have three other linked articles that are tied somewhat to emotions. I also have a short video as well that you can watch because I really want to be clear here. So let's jump into it. The title of the podcast, the title of the article that I am sharing with you right now is Emotional Problems Point to a Poor Thought Life. You can type in thought life. You can type in emotional problems. Either one of those will pull up this article if you want to read it. But your emotions can be good or they can be bad. And regardless of what they are, in either case, your emotions, what they do is they reflect what is going on in your thought life. There's no discontinuity between what you think and what you emote. If the emotions are right, and what I mean by right, if your emotions are biblical, if they are theologically precise, if they're God-centered, then the person will be thinking and responding biblically. But if your emotions are not good or if a person's emotions are not good, then that individual, what they need is your compassionate and patient biblical care to help change their thinking. Meaning, if you want to change a person's emotions, you have to change their thinking because it is their thought life that is causing their emotions. You could say that their emotions are like clues that leads you down the chimney. The emotions are the smoke that comes out of the chimney, but the emotions lead you down the chimney to the source of the, mo- the emotions, which is in the fireplace. And so emotional problems point to a poor thought life. Let me share with you three individuals, and, and then I want to get deeper into this. Mabel came to counseling on the verge of an emotional breakdown, so she said. Marge asked how she could work through the emotional abuse from her husband, and you'll hear that language a lot. By the way, I have an article here titled Emotional Abuse, Its Origin and Its Cure. This would really be an excellent companion article for you to read. It'll help you to get inside of what's happening with Marge. She says that she's working through the emotional abuse of her husband, and I'll go ahead and give you a clue there. 
That is not the best way to describe what's going on with Marge, even though what's going on with Marge is exceptionally real. And then there's Mildred. She has concerns about her erratic emotional problems. And so Mabel's on the verge of an emotional breakdown. Marge is going through emotional abuse. And Mildred, she has erratic emotional problems. All three of these ladies have self-diagnosed themselves as struggling with their emotions. And they have convinced themselves that they have emotional problems. Now, all three of them are most definitely struggling with something. And it is important that you hear that. I'm not minimalizing. I'm not marginalizing. I'm not trivializing what they're going through in any way. They they are most definitely struggling with something, but none of them have, quote, emotional problems, or at least not in the way that they think they do. The truth is their emotions are working fine, just as God designed them to work. Their emotions are working well enough to signal that something is amiss in their lives. This ability to perceive truth is a mercy from the Lord. Their working fine emotions is a mercy from the Lord because it's allowing them to perceive the reality of what is going on in their lives, meaning they do not have emotional problems in the sense that they have self-diagnosed themselves. The real issue for these ladies, it's not primarily about their emotions, but it is about their thinking. Mabel, Marge, and Mildred have thinking problems primarily. Emotions cannot be damaged or emotions cannot be abused. An emotional breakdown or emotional abuse. Now, unfortunately, what has happened here is our psychologized culture has made significant inroads regarding the way many Christians think about their emotions. Going back to my smoke analogy, I want to use it in a different way. Abusing emotions can loosely be analogous to abusing smoke. If I tried to harm smoke, (laughs) that smoke that I was talking about coming out of the chimney, if if I tried to harm smoke, I, I suppose I could wield a ball bat and take a swing at some smoke. According to secular theorists, I would be a smoke abuser. I would be abusing the smoke. Smoke abuse, like emotional abuse, it's not possible. But if you buy into the term emotional abuse, you'll have to look outside the Bible for help, which is no help at all. But if you want to stop unwanted emotional fluctuations, you would need to discern the real source of your emotions, which is your thinking. Now, this approach... This biblical approach can bring change to your mind, to your thoughts, and to your emotions. Let me give you an illustration or two of what I'm talking about with this idea of emotions connected to thinking. Let's 
let me say it right. Let's pretend just for a moment that you walked into your local bank only to find a gunman robbing it. As you enter, he whirls around and puts a gun in your face and yells for you to get down on the floor. At that moment, I promise you, your emotions will be working fine. They will be responding to how you are thinking about what you're thinking about during the crisis. How about this? Let me give you a, another illustration here. You just received a phone call saying you won a brand new digital tablet. In my world, that would probably be an iPad. Now, you're the one yelling, screaming, rather than the gunman in the previous illustration. You shriek and bolt upstairs to let your spouse know the good news. You are ecstatic. Your emotions are working well, and they are consistent with your thoughts in that celebratory moment. Here's a third illustration. Perhaps you received another phone call that was not as pleasant. By the way, I have received this phone call more than once. Someone just informed you that a family member passed away in the early morning hours. You end the call and sit in your chair, sadly reflecting upon the news. Now, in all three of these illustrations that I sh just shared with you, the gunman who whirls around and says, get on the floor, you're being robbed, or the person who comes to the door and gives you a, a blessed gift, or the phone call that you receive about a family member who passes away. In all three of those illustrations, your emotions will follow your thoughts which is normal because your emotions are normal because you are normal. Of course, there are times when your emotions are not helpful and they do need to change. But the process for doing this begins by tracing the emotions back to your thought life. And this is the key idea. It is imperative that you understand this. It is in your thoughts where our emotions, or where your emotions find their origination. Here's a, another illustration, a little bit different. Suppose you held a rock about the size of your fist above your head. You release the stone. It falls to the ground. You would not say that you had a gravity problem on your hands. Gravity does what gravity always does. Gravity is just being itself, which is the nature of emotions. They do what they are supposed to do. Like a, a law in, in our world of gravity, well, we have a psychological law. Thinking produces comparable emotions. Some thoughts can lead to unpleasant emotions. In such cases, it is essential the person begins to change their thinking to have their emotional responses adjusted. Remember, emotions are consistent with your thoughts. A happy person is merry in his heart. A habitually angry person has a bitter heart, not a merry heart. We are true to ourselves. What we show on the outside is what we are on the inside. So if you want to change the outside, your emotions, you must first adjust your thinking. Now, what I want to do here is I want to give you a list of bad emotions or bad reactions 
And in all of these bad emotions, they point to an unbiblical thought life. I have a few of these. I'll list them for you here. I'll talk about pouting, which is a common emotion, guilt and conviction, anger, of course, that's a common one, and then despair. I'll also talk about jealousy and fear. All of these things can be Well, in fact, maybe all of us have done these things uh, once or twice, and so I want to talk about how if you want to change these emotions, pouting, guilt, conviction, anger, despair, jealousy, fear, if you want to change these things, then you must go deeper than the emotional manifestation that is being exhibited on the outside of your life that people see, you must address, an unbiblical thought life. Let's take pouting first. Pouting is a manipulating emotion that a person employs to show he's not getting his way. When you see a person pouting, you should immediately have a good idea of what he is thinking. There is a level of disappointment and manipulation working in his thought life. I think most of us would think about a child in this context, and so let's use that as an illustration. Let's say that you have a child who is pouting. Well, inside of that child, the child's thinking, there's levels of disappointment in the child's heart. There is manipulation, obviously working in his thought life because he's pouting. And the pouting is about manipulating the parent to get whatever it is that the child wants. And so it would be easy, if this is a child, it would be easy to focus on the pouting child too much especially in the wrong way. And if you do this in response to the child, you may try to stop the pouting, what you're seeing externally by giving him what he wants. That would be a huge mistake. If your parenting style is behavioral modification and so you're changing the pouting, well, that's easy to change the pouting. Just give the little idolater what he wants and he'll stop pouting. But what have you accomplished? The better response for the pouting purpose a person is to identify what is going on in his mind internally to determine if his thoughts are biblical, which they are not. More than likely, his thoughts are not biblical. More than likely, he has a worship disorder motivating him to crave his selfish delights rather than esteeming others more significantly, as Paul talked about in Philippians 2. Three, well, if you want to help him, you don't want to give him his teddy bear or whatever it is, his his uh, device, whatever it is that he wants. You'll need to call him to repentance. If you don't call the pouting child to repentance, you could validate this type of behavior, which would only motivate him to employ it more often, regularly, to satisfy all of his selfish thoughts. And so the emotion of pouting is tied to his thinking. You have to identify the selfish thinking and call the child to repentance. Now, if this is an adult, well, you have some bigger issues on your hand because now the child has been doing this for 35 years. It is a deeply ensconced habituation, and it'll take more work. Let's take this guilt-slash-conviction idea. This kind of manifestation is from a person who feels terrible about what he has done. Now, in this sense, guilt and conviction is a good thing. It is an emotional response, and it needs explicit biblical intervention. 
Now, there could be several things going on in the person's mind, in their thoughts, who is experiencing guilt and conviction. Let's take the idea of unbiblical guilt. Unbiblical guilt instead of biblical guilt. If a person is wrestling under a false sense of guilt, you need to address his unbiblical thinking, which is leading to the emotion of this, this manifestation of externalized guilt. There are many Christians who are weighed down by some form of guilty regret for something that has happened in their past, whether it was something that they did or something that was done to them. There's a lot of Christians who are under the weight of a false sense of guilt. For example, it is common for a parent to rear their children in the wrong way because of lingering traces of guilt that remains in their lives. These parents parent their children from a position of fear because they feel that they have displeased God in some way, and so they overreact. Maybe they had an unbiblical divorce or the marriage dissolution was not primarily their fault, and rather than living in the freedom of God's forgiveness for what happened in their marriage, they overcompensate and spoil their child by giving him whatever he wants. This tactic is the parent's way of making up for what they did, paying for what they did. It's a penance. It's an atonement for what they did to the child because of the divorce. And I've seen many parents do this. It's a wrong sense of guilt that leads to or caused by wrong thinking, and, and they respond biblically, uh, unbiblically rather. Sometimes you'll hear them say, I asked God to forgive me many times for what I did. The practicalization of the gospel is not real to them. They can't believe God will forgive them by merely asking God to forgive them. God's grace is sufficient no matter what they did. But because of their poor theology, they feel a sense of guilt or conviction that is a product of their thinking rather than coming from the Spirit of God. And so pouting is an emotion that you need to address the thoughts. Uh, false guilt and a sense of conviction, you need to address whatever's going on in the person's thoughts. And then anger, the angry man typically is a manipulative man. Most of the time he's using his angry emotion to gain or regain control of his world if you fall prey to his emotion, you will respond precisely how he wants you to react. He wants to control you, to dominate you. You will cringe and give in to his manipulations. But if the situation does allow, and I know in many cases it doesn't allow, but maybe you can speak into the angry manipulator's life and try to help him to understand how his thoughts are corrupted and how it motivates him to emote in a manipulative way. His thoughts are where the real issues reside. You want to speak into his thought life. Now, again, I do realize in these types of situations, with women primarily, uh, this redemptive opportunity is not an option because their men are so mean-spirited, so unkind, so harsh, and they can't speak into their lives because their husbands are fools, basically, according to Proverbs Typically, the wife needs to contact her pastor or other spiritual authority for help. The angry man is playing God. Rather than trusting God to bring about a specific preference in his life, he is circumventing God's way for his way. So he can and usually will use any means necessary to justify his position while blaming you for the things that are wrong. Anger is a form of insanity. 
It's not in line with a biblical mind. It is also a manifestation of insecurity or what the Bible calls fear of others. And so the emotion of anger is a deadly emotion, but it speaks to the depravity of a person's thought life. Despair. This is the emotion of the hopeless. According to the discouraged person's thinking, they have lost all hope. And what you are observing by their emotional response of despair is some form of despair, grief, depression. Typically, the despairing person didn't fall into the ditch of despair. It is usually the accumulative effect of many years of poor thinking that has gone unchecked. It is hard to ferret out this kind of thinking because a person who allows their thoughts to run along these lines for so long, typically they're usually not forthcoming about what they are thinking because they are embarrassed about it. You may not be aware of how they have been processing things until full-fledged despair has overtaken them. And so you must remember when serving a person like this that you'll need to be patient but yet firm with them. Don't let their emotional despair overly influence your care. You may be tempted to coddle the discouraged person when what they need is compassionate, faith-filled courage and grace. I've talked about pouting. I've talked about guilt slash conviction. I've talked about anger and despair. I want to bring up two more, jealousy and Fear. Jealousy is another form of anger. The jealous thinker is mad about something they are not receiving, they are coveting in their thought life. And what you observe on the emotional outside is a jealous attitude. This person does not need your coddling, they need for you to bring them back to the cross of Christ. How can the jealous thinking coveter continue? in his coveting while responding, reacting to the cross. His thoughts need a significant gospel orientation. And then there's fear. This emotional attitude is the most common emotion of them all. Do not fear is the most oft-repeated command or appeal in the Bible. Our entire Adamic makeup stands upon the fear-unbelief dynamic in our minds. We are born fearful. And it's the emotion we express most often. No person can escape this emotion entirely. Now, while at times it can serve us well, as in the case of the bank robbery that I shared above, but at other times, fear can be our worst enemy. The fear-based person needs the gospel, just like all the other people that I have described in this short list of people who have dangerous emotional reactions. Nothing points directly to our unbiblical thinking like fear. And what does fear say about our thinking? Well, it means in the clearest way that we are not trusting God. These five words can transform you. Here they are. Do not fear, trust me. The Lord is speaking. All of God's choicest servants yielded to sinful temptations But God was more significant than all their sin. If God is for you, who can be against you? And even if you yield or attempted to yield to sinful temptation, specifically fear, you need to know that God is more significant than all your fear. When you're struggling with doubt and fear, merely utter these simple but powerful five words. Do not fear. Trust me. 
I realize it'll take more work than this, but minimally, it is a great start. Go ahead and say them now. Repeat after me. Do not fear. Trust me. God is entirely trustworthy, no matter what you may be going through at the moment. Repeat this truth often. Let it transform your mind and massage your soul. Do not fear. Trust me. Make sure when you are caring for your friends that you don't become confused by what you are observing on the outside from their behavior. Let what you are seeing, observing, assessing be clues that take you deeper into their minds. Start with their emotions. It's out there on their sleeve and move inward to their thoughts. Once you get into their thought life, ask God to give you the discernment to truly understand what they are thinking and how their thoughts are affecting them. Solving wrong thinking in one meeting would be rare. Sometimes it takes several meetings and many people and different contexts to speak into a person's life as often enough because their thinking has been shaped for so long in unbiblical ways for many years Paul's exhortation in 1 Thessalonians has been meaningful to me as I think about people who need long-term biblical care. He says, be patient with them all. Your emotions can be good or they can be bad, but in either case, they reflect what is going on in your thoughts. If your emotions are right, the person is thinking and responding biblically. If your emotions are not good, the person needs your compassionate and patient biblical care. The podcast title, Emotional Problems, Point to a Poor Thought Life. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.